0: Okay, which, which book of Matthew are we studying currently? Well, it's been a while, hasn't it? Come on, if Andy... If An- 24, yes. If Andy Watson was here, he would have called out Matthew 24 straight away. So we're not going to get very far today. Uh, but that's my fault. Well, it's not... Well, yes, it is my fault. But hopefully the Lord was moving. I'm glad that no one actually came up with a prophetic word that to heal Wendy... Some of the the ministry team should go along and lie on top of her. (laughs) I don't think Wendy would have appreciated that. Uh, Okay. What? I don't. uh, Wars and rumors of wars. That's what we've been looking at. Matthew 24, verse 6. It's a really eclectic Bible study. Well, it's not eclectic today because actually you won't get it all today. Um, But I love where where the Bible study led me to on this one, so hopefully you'll love where it leads to. Matthew 24, we're starting at verse 6. We've read from verse 1, but we'll just start off from where we left off last week. Verse 6 says, Jesus said, You will hear of wars and rumours of wars, and you know why we've chosen this scripture, because of what's going on right now. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Wars are alarming, but as Christians, we have a heavenly, eternal mindset. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Jesus' return and the end of the world is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Now last time I made the comment that ordinarily when we hear, we hear wars, rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, we think of them with dread. And that's right because they're dreadful. Because of the awful things that happen in these wars, famines and earthquakes. But... In the most of dreadful circumstances, they can also be Godful, can't they? God is always doing something. God is is working for good. We know that from scripture. So even in the face of wars, famines, and earthquakes, Christians should be eagerly expecting two things. What good is God up to? And what is he asking of me? Or what is he saying to me? Those two things we can expect God to do and ask. Okay. In the previous two studies, we've looked at wars and earthquakes. So we're going to explore famine. Now you think, oh, what a boring subject. But actually, it can be quite interesting. Well, I think it can be. Um, So has anyone here experienced a famine? No? No? I think for me, just seeing empty shelves in Tesco's No, that's not a famine. But that's the closest that I've got to, to that sense of, ooh, what is happening next? What is going to happen? Um, So, yes. Where do you think is the earliest recording of a famine in the Bible? Come on, it's worth the toffee crisp. Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, no, he's before that. Sorry? In Canaan? I don't know. It might be. But I'm looking for characters. Which character experienced it? If it's Canaan, and we find out you're right, Jenny. It's a toffee crisp for you. Okay, don't worry. Genesis 12, we don't have to turn there, but it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham, before he was even Abraham, Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Famine is a recurring theme right up until Jesus' time in the Bible. And from what Jesus has said, it will be. Famines will continue to happen right up until he comes again. Now, when you look up the recorded history of the world, famines, it's shocking to see how widespread and regular famines were for the last 4,000 years. According to Wikipedia, by the way. So, (laughs) I got the Lunar... I got the lunar landing date wrong, didn't I, last week. In the last 20 years, it seems the continent of Africa has been suffering the most, mainly due to civil war and drought. However, do you know when England, roughly how many years ago, did England suffer its last famine? It was 300 years ago. In 1727, in the Midlands. I was looking at you, but you're not from the Midlands, are you? You're from Yorkshire. That that is okay, because 80 years before that, there was a famine in the north of England as well. And then, before that, in the 1300s and 1200s, there were more famines, one in London. But as far as records go, English famines were mild, compared to the rest of the world and what they've struggled and suffered with from famines. Even Ireland. Just across the water from us, Ireland has suffered severely from famines in the past. Even as most recent as less than 100 years ago, in 1925, uh, Ireland had its last famine, which was due to heavy rain. But before that, in 1845, they had the... What do they call it? The Great Potato Famine which lasted four years in Ireland and killed over one million people and caused nearly two million to emigrate from Ireland and in the last 4,000 years of recorded famines it would seem that most countries have suffered from time to time but it seems the famines were most frequent in Europe, France got hit quite a bit and Italy, North America sorry North Africa sorry and India, Europe North Africa and India seem to be hit the most. Now, according to Wikipedia, there are current famines in Yemen, Sudan, Ethiopia and Madagascar. And according to the World Food Programme, there are 44 million people in 38 countries teetering on the edge of famine right now. Would you like to hazard a guess, though, as to which country seems to have lost the most people due to famine? Any ideas? And it's not a country i mentioned yet. India, India. India. No, it's not India. Russia. Russia. Russia has suffered a lot, and Ukraine has as well, but no. China. China. Were you thinking China, Tianyu? <laughs> this is really sad. This is just in the last 200 years. But in 1836, northern China lost 9 to 13 million people. From famine in 1907, 25 million in 1928, northern China, 3 to 10 million in 1936, another 5 million in 1942, in Henna, which is central China, lost 2 to 3 million. And in and as late or as early as ni, late as 19, 1959, the great Chinese famine, where 15 to 55 million potentially lost their lives because of famine. That's less than. Well, it's 60 years ago, isn't it? But what is famine? Well, according to Wikipedia again, a famine is a widespread scarcity of food caused by several factors including war, natural disasters, crop failure, population imbalance, widespread poverty and economic catastrophe or government policies. Now, we think, when we think of government policies, we think of mainly um, uh, communist states when they say they're for the people, but actually they've left some of the people out. But sadly, according to Wikipedia, um, the United Kingdom, when we had our um, doings out in India, apparently there was a famine because of our rulings and policies going on there. So, hands up, we've been guilty of causing famines in other countries. Okay, however, back to the Bible. Did you know that the Bible mentions another potential reason for a famine that's not in this list? It's not because of natural disasters. You know, um, volcanoes, they, they cause a lot of famines. Italy lost millions when a volcanic eruption happened hundreds of years ago. But apart from poverty and economic catastrophe and government policies and things like that and war, Bible mentions another reason for famines too. Do you know what that is? Ooh, disobedience. Oh, okay. Go to two Samuel. Two Samuel. Fads is going. Yeah, yeah. What's in two Samuel, Fads? <laughs> is it something about a famine? Do you think? You know the story. Okay, two Samuel twenty-one. This might surprise you, but this is one of the reasons for a famine. 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. David probably says something like, God, what is wrong? Why are we suffering from a famine and why has it been going on for so long despite our prayers? Is there a spiritual reason we are unaware of? Lord, what is the reason for this famine? We've been praying and it hasn't gone. Is there a reason behind it? The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summons the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. So apparently on this occasion, the reason behind the famine, or the reason why the famine was lingering, was due to Saul breaking an oath the Israelites had made to the Gibeonites. Now, do you know how long ago that oath was made? Was it a few years ago, do you reckon? It was Joshua, yeah, 400 years ago, roughly 400 years before that, the Israelites had made an oath with the Gibeonites not to harm them. And 400 years later, at some point, Saul has harmed the Gibeonites. And later on, and then years later when David is king, that's the reason for the famine. Now, can you remember the slightly comical way in which this oath came about. Can you remember? It's probably not comical, but I see it as quite comical. They were deceived, weren't they? They were tricked. All right, turn back to Joshua or we'll find out what these cunning Gibeonites did. Joshua 9, we're going to start from verse 3. The Israelite people, led by Joshua, had just come out of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They crossed the Jordan. And we're now taking the land as promised and commanded by God. Show no mercy as well. Because if you don't, they'll just cause you problems and they'll turn your hearts to their gods. They're wicked. There's no good in them. They need to be eradicated because I want you to be in this land, pure and following me, not being steered away by others. Okay, that was the order and the promise. Verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon... Do you know, you'll get an insight into the way I study the Bible in a minute, but do you know that the people of Gibeon invented their own song and dance? (laughs) Yeah, do you know how it goes? Do, do, do the funky Gibeon. Now you have to be born, born, well, at least in the 70s to remember the Goonies. The Goonies and the funky Gibeon. Okay. Goodies, is it the good? I thought it the Goonies. Okay, well, I prefer the Goonies version. No, the goodies. Apparently, apparently, the goodies. Okay, all right. Note to myself if you're going to do a joke, get it right. Okay, okay. Verse three, however, the people of Gibeon heard. That Joshua, what has Joshua done to Jericho and Ai? they completely destroyed them and taken over them. They resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins and cracked and mended wineskins. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and mouldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? And they answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him that all you have done in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth." And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left and come to you. But now you see how dry and mouldy it is. And these wineskins were filled with new, they were new. But see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. Hmm. The Israelites sampled their provisions. Mm, yes, your bread is mouldy, but did not require. Oh, yeah, sorry, did not inquire of the Lord. Thank you, Francis. What's the Holy Spirit, who is writing through the writer of the Book of Joshua, trying to imply here that they didn't inquire of the Lord? What's the Holy Spirit saying? They should have checked with God. What would the Lord have said? Stop. Yeah, no. These goodies are trying to trick you. They are a foe, not a friend. How often do you think we Christians should inquire of the Lord these days? All the time? Jesus said that his sheep follow him because they know his voice. You follow Jesus because you know his voice. What he's saying personally to you in your spirit and what he said in his word the two main ways God's voice is heard. Okay? You follow him because you hear his voice. If you want Jesus to lead you, you need to check regularly with what he's saying. Not just on a Sunday every now and again, but on a regular basis during the day. Um, And don't go as far as to say, Lord, what colour socks should I put on today? But keep checking. The the word says that the peace of Christ acts as an umpire in your heart. So all the time, you're being led, and when you don't sense that peace, stop, something's wrong. You shouldn't be driving this way, or you shouldn't be going there, or whatever it is. Something's wrong. What's the Holy Spirit saying? And in James 1.5 it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who will get annoyed if you ask so often? No? No? who gives generously without finding fault. Have you had a sweet yet, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) Have you been reading James at the moment? Yeah. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Okay, let's carry on with our story. Verse 14. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days later, after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbours living near them. Oh no, what do you do now? Skip down to verse. halfway through verse 18. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. But they tricked them. Surely that's unfair. Well, their word is their word. Their oath is their oath. Now, this is what we'll do to them, it says in verse 20. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. And roughly 400 years later, who broke the oath? Saul. And some years after that, it came back to bite the Israelites in the form of a famine in King David's time. So there's a 400 delay until the oath was broken then there was a bit more of a delay and then the famine happened does God consider oaths and promises very important even binding yeah even the ones that we're duped into making yeah are you sure yeah (laughs) it would appear so wouldn't it we might consider our words as throwaway. But what if our words have spiritual consequences that we can't see? Proverbs 18 says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Turn to Matthew 5. Maybe this is why Jesus gave us this stern warning on the Sermon on the Mount. Speaking of oaths and promises, Jesus gave us not the Israelites he's give gave us including the Jewish people Matthew 5 verse 33 gave us this stern warning about making over some promises Matthew five thirty three says Jesus speaking again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago do not break your oath and but fulfill the, the to the Lord the vows you have made but I tell you do not swear an oath at all neither by heaven for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's funny that Jesus has said that anything beyond this should come from the evil one. is because there was one point in my life where I used to hear people swear on something pretty much every day. Now, as a police officer, I did quite a few stints in custody, as the custody sergeant. And the majority of people arrested came in, would swear by something that they were innocent. Some of the favourites were, I swear on my life, something like those drugs aren't mine. Or, I swear on my baby's life, that it wasn't me. That's always a favourite one. That one. I swear on my baby's life. That is not me. I swear on my kid's eyes. Have you ever heard someone say that? I swear on my kid's eyes. Yeah, you have, Mike. That you've got the wrong person. I swear on my mum's life. That's always a favourite one. Like, on oh, my mum's life. I swear on my mum's life. Or I swear on my mum's grave. No, you're not familiar with these things. Oh yeah. You just mixed with the wrong people. Or the right people. You mix with the right people. okay. If a person is having to resort to swearing on something in order to get people to believe them or to swear an oath in order to accomplish something, the likelihood, Jesus says, is it's actually inspired by the devil. It doesn't come from God. It's likely that the evil one is behind this urge to swear wanting to trap you. Wanting to ensnare you into a circumstance or later on your generations to come into a circumstance whereby they break it and he can get you. He can punish you. He can accuse you. I've been reading through the Old Testament lately. Anyone else been currently in the Old Testament? Yeah. Stephen's nice and James. And you'll be surprised at how many rash and daft oaths, oaths, come out of people's mouths. Often by the king or someone else who says, "May the Lord strike me dead if I don't do this or do that." Yeah, it comes across as passionate and godly zeal, doesn't it? David did it. Saul did it. Oh, may God do this to me if I don't do this to you within certain days and things like that. I think it comes across as passionate and godly zeal. But actually, it could be spiritual foolishness and even spiritual suicide to come out with some of these oaths. Right, before we finish, let's just go to probably one of the worst oaths I've ever experienced in the Bible. Judges 11. Judges 11. We're going to finish in a minute. We're not going to get through it all, but... Okay, Judges chapter 11, verse 30. Now, Jephthah Jephthah is one of the early judges of Israel. He's a bit of a reluctant judge. People have just basically come up to his house and called upon him. He's a good warrior. They said, you lead us in battle. We need you. You lead us in battle. So, this is what Jephthah decides to do. In Judges 11, verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord: If you give me the Amorites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Amorites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it it as a burnt offering. What? (laughs) Jephthah wants to secure a battle win from God, so he decides to make an oath. So he thinks a drastic oath will do the job. If I get God, if I swear this, God will do this for me. Remember what Jesus said. If you're trying to get something by swearing an oath or something like that, it comes from the devil. We often think, whoa, what a godly man, zealous for God. But, and what does Jephthah swear to do? To burn anything, the first thing that comes out of his house to greet him. I'm going to burn it to you, Lord. Now, what was he thinking? What do you, what do you think he thought would be the first thing out the door? Now, in my mind, I've got in brackets here, unless he had a cat that he secretly didn't like. Please, Lord, let it be the cat. Let it be the cat. Okay. Sadly, it was his daughter, his only child, who joyously came out saying, Daddy's home. How awful. I bet the devil was wringing his hands with glee that day that Jephthah made that oath that he couldn't, he couldn't break. Just as that particular famine in David's day was hanging around because of a broken oath made 400 years prior, which the Israelites were duped into, and that wasn't even broken by David, but by Saul, his predecessor, and David wisely inquired of the Lord, although it took him three years to do it, it's wise that we too should inquire of the Lord to see if any of our personal circumstances that don't seem to be answered by prayer may be because we or our previous generations have either been ensnared by our own words or the words of those before us, or we or our generations have made or broken foolish oaths and promises. I mean, one of the most prevalent one in Christian ministries is setting families free from the oaths made by the male figures in freemasonry i mean you might know but it's not that secret the oaths that the freemasons make at each stage of their progression most of them only make it to the third stage which is the master mason which is like you've passed your probationary period you're now fully qualified mason And some of the oaths that they make, they promise to do this and keep it secret, unless if they don't, may my bowels be removed and my my throat slit and all sorts of things like that. And unfortunately, like we see, years later, the enemy is still using these vows to have a go at generations later. So we're gonna we're gonna finish here. I just want us to pray. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's pause and pray to ask God who gives wisdom generously to those who ask, not finding fault. But if any of our circumstances are because of our own words or our promises or oaths that we or our ancestors have made years ago, that the enemy is able to later accuse us of and cash in on. Heavenly Father, as we study the occasion when David inquired of you, because of the ongoing famine and you revealed it was because of the 400 year oath that King Saul had broken we thank you Father that being your children in Christ Jesus we too can inquire of you to see if there is anything we need to have revealed about the circumstances in our lives Lord if there are any oaths or promises that we or our ancestors have made Knowingly or unknowingly that have since been broken or the evil one is using against us please give us the wisdom to know what it is and what to do so that we can confess the sin and you can forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father God we thank you that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than any oath or promise That might be in our past. Amen.